Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome to the fourth episode of the Authority Hacker Podcast. In this week's episode, I'm very honored to receive Brandon Beneshat, who is the co-founder of TopTal.com. TopTal is uh, what they call a top sourcing company where you can hire very, very qualified developers to do any kind of development you want. And Brandon, thank you for being here. Thanks, Gal. Happy to be here. Can you just explain what is TopTal? Because I went over it in like one sentence, but obviously you must be hysterical and must have so many more things to say. So please go ahead. Sure. So we're about three and a half years old, founded in November 2010, and we are essentially a marketplace for top developers and top companies. So a lot of companies, including a lot of startups, come to us and when they need short-term or even very long-term software engineers, pretty much on-demand. And we have a very white-glove service where we're working with them to line them up with some of the best developers all over the world. So there's about uh, 900 of us in TopTal, guys from everywhere from like Princeton to Facebook, Google, CERN, places like that. And we have a very rigorous screening process for every engineer before they're admitted to TopTal. And once they get in, they're eligible to work with the TopTal clients. And so we're essentially the conduit between really good developers and companies looking for very good developers all over the world. Yeah, so it's basically a very vetted and curated marketplace for people to go and not waste their time. They just get someone good right away, right? Exactly. So we have a lot of CTOs from very well-known companies who get, like when Facebook or something posts a job, they'll get thousands and thousands of resumes, but that takes a tremendous amount of time to actually go through and vet everybody. And so the, the idea with TopTal is our acceptance rate is around 3%. We have a very similar screening process to Facebook and Google, plus it's a little bit more strict because most of the work that we do is remote. And so we really have to look for a lot of discipline. But at the end of the day, we're looking for extremely smart people with uh, tremendous work ethic and, frankly, a lot of entrepreneurial drive. And then once they've proven that to us and we've done everything from really difficult code challenges to paired programming projects, et cetera, then they're within what we call the, the top town network. And our job is to make sure that they're working with great companies and challenging projects. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. When you're hiring developers, it's always very complicated. But I think a lot of people have been listening to that. And I think their brain probably stopped when you say, we have 900 people in three years, which is <laughs> crazy, crazy, crazy growth. And one part of your growth tactic is your blog. You guys actually have a very successful engineering blog where you guys post regularly, like cutting edge content and so on. And it seems like it's going well for you guys. So can you just describe a little bit what you guys do with that blog? Because I guess that's what appeals most to the authority hacker crowd. Sure. So about a little over a year ago, we sat down and said that we wanted to start blogging and, and for a bunch of reasons. One, to sort of prove our technical chops and more than just saying that we are top developers or very good engineers and have a lot of examples of this out on the internet and then also in many ways give back to the to various communities and put really needed content out there like the interesting things amazing tutorials really innovative ways of doing stuff and we have a lot of engineers who are in top tell all over the world who are rather siloed and so so one of the benefits of working here is that you can work anywhere in the world for the most part as long as you have a strong internet connection but 
And while that's amazing and it means travel and working from beaches and all of that, a lot of times you're pretty isolated. And so you could be working with an amazing team at YouTube or something like that and solving like very, very difficult and problems that tons of engineers all over the internet have are facing every day. And we wanted to make a platform where you could share those solutions easily and have a, a widespread reach. And then you would also uh, you know, get recognition for that. And so it goes on your profiles. Your, we, we like to call it being published on the Top Town Engineering blog rather than just us having a little team here that's pumping out articles every single day or something like that. That makes total sense. I mean, especially if you guys are saying you want to be the best, it's, it's good to walk the talk, I guess. Yeah, that was one of the main ideas behind it. Cool. So that's kind of the vision, but I'm very interested in how it got started because obviously that's a very ambitious vision, but you can't have all of that on day one. So how did you go about kind of like MVPing the whole process and what are the first steps you guys took to achieve that vision? Sure. So I worked very closely with uh, the first technical editor of the engineering blog. And so after setting this vision, which I can kind of sum it up as we said very clearly, we'd rather have 10 A-plus articles over 100 A articles. And so we set the standard super high from the very beginning and say we're not going to publish any crap. and The Internet just doesn't need more fluffy content. And so from there, we put to, put, made a couple of hires, the most important in this process being an individual that I went to school with. And we worked very closely on some of the in, uh, very few initial posts. And so we had a, a really nice head start here because there are so many engineers that working with TopTal. We essentially had a large pool of people that could be contributors in the early days. And so Another thing for getting started was making it easy for people to contribute to this blog. A lot of engineers are not great writers. I don't consider myself a great writer. And for me to publish on this blog, what would make it easy is to be able to contribute as much as I was good at contributing, which is probably more the technical content. And if I could have a conversation with an editor and then turn that into a, a, like a, a bulleted list or something, and then the, the editor, who is much better writer than I am, can take that and turn it into a, a polished piece, and then a designer can come in and work with me to create uh, whatever supporting graphics the, the post needs itself. This is what we wanted to do, and that's what those are the initial motions we had to take and the pieces we had to line up so that w- it actually would be easy and everybody b- could be contributing what they were best at on one of these pieces. And then we did that with the first couple of these, and from the very first one we did, we published it. We didn't really know what was going to happen. We had a, you know, a, a mailing list of just our own clients and our own engineers here, and so a few hundred at that time or something. And so we, we sent it out to them and threw it up in a couple places on, on Reddit and on our Facebook page and Twitter page, which all had you know, small numbers at that time, and watched what happened. And the first 10 or 15, maybe even more of our posts, because of the technical standard we had adhered to, trended on Hacker News and went very viral, at least within the tech community. And so every single one of these, we were instantly able to count on tens of thousands of people visiting, which spread them all over the internet. They got dozens of inbound links and they're, they're resyndicated and you know, smashing magazines and Lifehacker and, and JavaScript Weekly and all these different things. And so by I think a lot of people are launching content and then not too much happens with it. And with us, that could have been the issue. But I think I, do, I really do think because of this the the A plus nature of most of these posts and hopefully all of them that the distribution was never an issue for us. 
Mm, I mean, that makes sense. Is it possible for you to share some traffic numbers or shares numbers or whatever you're happy to share with in terms of the kind of traction you guys get from some of these posts? Sure. So the average post is getting tens of thousands of uniques at this point, And a lot of that has come from the lists that we've essentially built up. And so we have subscriptions or I mean, uh, subscribe buttons, like subscribe to our engineering blog, things like that. And so that alone has over 25,000 subscribers. Our Twitter has over 21,000 people on it. Our Facebook has 10,000. And then we get you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of unique visits each month from organic traffic. And so and some of these pieces have done so well that they're outranking you know, Wikipedia for basic technical terms that get, a lot of tra- that get a lot of traffic. Wow. Do you have a term that you guys are outranking Wikipedia for? I think it depends where you are, but I know some of these, like Node.js or AngularJS, mm. some of these ones do very, very well. These are very trendy technologies at the, at the moment as well, so that's good for you guys, I guess. Yeah, there some, there's a few pieces that have just been totally outstanding in terms of organic traffic for us. Cool. Well, there's one thing I noticed when you tried to describe a little bit some of your process for the first posts is that you say that everyone does what they're good at. And you were like, the person that has a technical knowledge wasn't even writing. They were just doing a list of bullet points and then someone else was writing the article. I think that's very interesting and very few people do that. So can you describe a little bit your editorial process and what goes on behind the scene in drafting an article? Sure. So... We usually sit down with an engineer here and brainstorm topics and try to come up with something either very cutting edge or very interesting, like maybe a very elegant solution to a very common problem, uh, which maybe isn't so cutting edge, but it's just like brilliant in its simplicity. Or the, on the other hand, because that's a very hard thing to do, it's a cutting edge or something brilliant, mm. something that is easier, but still extremely valuable is coming up with like a very well-researched, very clear article about a technology. And so how to build your first AngularJS app, start to finish with source code and everything like that, or questions about like a deep introduction to the hiring iOS developers or something like that. So once we have actually sat down within, with the people here and decided what we're going to do, the engineer or the, the writer, which is an engineer in, in all of our cases, goes and will come up with the first draft. And sometimes this draft is a bunch of bullets, as I said before. More often than not, it's what you would expect in a first draft. It's several paragraphs which, or several pages. And then we're going back and forth as many times as needed with a team of editors here who are all have deeply technical backgrounds themselves. And then we're going back and forth until we feel like this is either this is one of those things. This is either extremely cutting edge and fascinating or interesting. And this is something that the or this is something that the internet is asking for in its own way. So we're looking at keyword research like AngularJS tutorials, and we're looking and seeing thing, it, we're not seeing anything that's really good out there already. Looking at some of the competition for these things and saying, you know, is this something that's going to be easy to outrank, or is this you know, this is totally saturated and not really worth it? We're just going to be adding something that's already here. Okay, and like, uh, so you guys are really focused on SEO when you make a decision, right? You guys are doing a bunch of keyword research and stuff. We've started to. Uh, in the early days, it was you know we're trying to create something from nothing, and so we are working with engineers, and they're they're really coming to us, offering what they think is going to be you know, something that they really want to share with the world, like an amazing project they've been working on or something like that. And that has worked. And then as we've gotten better and better about this and seen what has like, really worked with 10 minutes of keyword research, you can get a good idea for how well a piece is going to do, assuming that it is a plus. 
So what do you do if an engineer comes to you with a really, really good idea, but there's like no volume? Do you still go ahead or do you like, how do you go about it? In the past, we have. More recently, we try to put a, add something or expand it to something that is actually going to have some volume. And it's not just search volume because mm. more important than search volume is, is really links and, and SEO. And so if we think that there's, this is something that the world needs, even though people aren't searching for it, but there's link potential given you know, distribution on something like Changelog or like JavaScript Weekly or something like that, that, that will give us enough to, to go ahead and have something go out there. Sure, makes sense. How much work goes into a single blog post? Because it seems like a very lengthy and tedious process to obviously output something amazing. I'm very curious how much time you spend. There are very few posts that take less than 20 hours of time from multiple A players. And the, the editors on this have been, we've been very lucky to work with just some amazing, amazing people. The guys from Facebook and Amazon or the US government and Princeton, places like that. And they put in 20 hours of extremely heads-down focused time at, at least on virtually every one of these posts. And so it doesn't scale. You, know, you can't just do, say you're going to publish you know, five of these every single day as, when you're working with a small team mm. or something like that. And we really have to make sure that everything we put out there is going to be you know, amazing and impactful because we're putting so many resources into it. I know you love scaling stuff. So you named your own problem. What are you going to do about it? Well, with SEO, at least in my short experience here, it's, it sort of builds upon itself. And so yeah. you have articles that do really well, and they don't stop doing really well for you. They typically, a lot of times, if you A-B test titles and things like that, they'll do better and better for you over time. Um, and then you do play around with internal linking and all sorts of other things, and you can get things that just build upon themselves. And so the, you'll get published five articles a year ago that now give you 100,000 uniques every month from SEO. And so scaling it, you know, we're not trying to necessarily go for be a content machine of dozens of posts every single week, but we're, we are trying to scale it to a certain extent. So we were initially, our goal was to do about one post per week. And then over time, we've added resources and, and improved our own processes and things. So we can average uh, several posts per week. And then we're trying right now to bring it up to about five per week. And then that's probably pretty good for a while, at least given our current launch flow. I mean, we don't want to be sending our engineering blog subscribers multiple emails every single day, I don't think. Yeah. But we'll decide that when we get there. Maybe that would work in some way, or maybe we change it up and you know, there's a digest of them every week instead or something. Yeah, I think a lesson to learn here is that a lot of people, when they start corporate blogs, they're just like put a frequency in their head that they, they kind of force themselves to follow even though there's no processes and nothing. And you end up with not super stellar quality content. And I think like if, if you're listening to this podcast and, and you want to start a corporate blog and listen, look at the top time model, I guess you guys started really slow. I think the, between the first and the second blog post, there was like a month, right, or something. Definitely. I don't remember exactly, but it was a few weeks or something like that. And this you what you really want to approach these things initially saying okay we're going to there's a quota here or a goal at least that we can't that we can't miss and we're going to be posting five of these a week but when you really get down into it for us it's been really important to just say that what's way more important to our success or critical to our success is is compromising on the deadlines there rather than the actual posts themselves. And so that's just part of establishing the vision in the very beginning and then actually adhering to it. 
That, that makes total sense. There's one thing that also sparked my attention in one of your previous responses was that you are testing headlines and internal linking and so on. I'm very interested in what you guys are doing and how you do it. Sure. So a lot of our posts, you know, any if you don't know the basics of SEO, essentially when you're typing in something on Google, you get 10 results in the first page and Google is t- ranking those based on a whole lot of factors, including how many people are linking to each of those pages. And then how once something gets on the front page, how well it actually does there. Are people clicking it on the headline and immediately closing the page or going back and clicking on another head- page or something like that? Or are they not, never clicking on your page at all? And so you really have to earn your keep when you're on the first page of results. And so for us, it's always important to make sure that we're writing good headlines that are accurate, but also you know two headlines that look that say exactly the same thing, but they're just essentially a different ordering of words, or one has a different keyword in it. One might do really, really well and get people's attention, and one might totally flop. And so, constantly testing those and kind of putting your own your own biases aside is something that can get uh, I've seen really big wins uh, in SEO. Do you have an example of that on a given blog post or something that you guys did? Sure. We have an AngularJS post, an introduction in how to build your first app with source code and everything that I mentioned earlier. And that was, it was a really popular post when it first went out. And so that's, I think, trended on Hacker News and does really well on Reddit and gets resyndicated and stuff. And so it gets all the, all the links that you would hope for an A-plus piece like that. And then when it came to SEO, we started looking at, we had we built the team more and more people with a lot more experience than me on SEO are now on the team and making contributions. And somebody looked at this after doing a bunch of research and saying, you know, people are actually searching for not how to build your first AngularJS app, which was the, you know, some form of that was the previous title. They're looking for AngularJS tutorials. And there's a massive amount of people using that those specific keywords. And so you can do something like that and put in tutorial into the into the title and all of a sudden you know within a week you're getting 10 times as many people on this every day Hmm. yeah that makes sense so basically you're just creating something that trends first and optimize it later i guess so i guess you have that phase where the title is more important for it to be viral than it to be search optimized and then later on you guys go back and re-optimize articles yeah definitely Okay, that makes sense. I think every you know, I've, I've met a few other people that are not necessarily in this industry, but people with really successful blogs. And you read on Moz and all these things. I mean, this isn't any secret. Most of the successful people are doing exactly that. They're realizing that y- no matter how good you think something is, and doesn't necessarily mean anything when it comes to SEO. And you can make very small differences, very small changes, and just you know, roughly scientifically. Uh, test it and then get your way to something that is way better than it was doing initially. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm actually, one thing I'm testing on some of my sites right now that I'm playing a lot with is social media meta tags. So you can actually put your title tag for your SEO that's well-rounded SEO, keyword optimized and so on. So your piece ranks really well. But you can also add Facebook tags and Twitter tags and so on. So the title, when it's shared or liked by anyone, is actually different. And you can have something that's a lot more clickbaity and, like, you know, more socially viral and all these things. And you can have both run in parallel these days using these social media meta tags. And that 
changes your sharing a lot because you basically get your SEO traffic and people share it. And it's a different title. Like, for example, I have one that's the Amazon Partner Program Guide where I just explain how we use the Amazon program. Uh, and it's, it's a pretty boring title, but it's well-rounded for SEO. But when people share it on Facebook or when it's tweeted or something like that, it says how two noobs make hundreds of dollars on autopilot every month from the Amazon affiliate program. And that gets like 10 times more shares and likes and clicks, you know? I guess you guys are doing the same thing and you're just testing again and again. Do you guys use the webmasters tool information, clicks rate and so on to figure out what works better? Yeah, definitely. Okay, makes sense. In terms of content promotion, are you guys still promoting your content at all other than your internal channels? So other than your email list and your Facebook page and, and whatever way people follow you, do you guys do external promotion in any way? Not really. We do a little bit in terms of promoting them on Facebook and LinkedIn just because there's some interesting targeting options there and it does bring some traffic and hopefully some conversions that we care about each time as well. We do do a little bit of research for these as well where a small group of people will go out and look for other people that are blogging on very similar content and then assuming that there's some deep connection or relevance, well, we may manually share that with them. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. One thing I've, uh, I've found that works well as well, if you find other very good pieces of content on the topic, put a quote of these people in the blog post mm-hmm. and then email them and be like, hey, we quoted your article because it was so good. Yeah, I've heard that from several different people. And actually, I've noticed that now that we have a, you know, a blog with a bunch of traction on it, people do that to us a lot. And so we get emails every week of people saying, oh, we referenced you here, et cetera, et cetera. So I think they have, it's definitely an effective link building technique if so many people are using it. Yeah, I mean, even if it's sometimes just a social share from these people, and you know, if they have a big followership, that can make a difference. And if it makes your blog post better, why not, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, okay. I wanted to ask now about conversion. So we know we kind of understand how you guys create content and publish it and get traffic to it now. But what do you guys try to do with your blog readers? Are you trying to sell them right away? Are you trying to convert them in any other way? Like what's your goal when someone reads your blog? So there's a few different things going on there that are calls to action. And we have a lot of different types of people on our blog. And so that's something we do have to take into account. We can't just do go for a hard sell every single time of trying to get a client because most of the people on there are not potential clients. They're actually engineers. And so on most of our or all of our posts, we have subscribe options. We have sign up as a client. So hire a developer option or or work as a developer option as well. And essentially any of those counting as a conversion is very valuable to us. And so for us, a question that we have to ask ourselves a lot is what type of piece is this and where is it on the on our site? And because we have other content outside of the engineering blog, like hiring guides and interview questions and things like that. And we have to say, who's the most likely type of person on here and how hard of a sell makes sense? Is it something where they're ready to buy now and that like you, the, even the, the buttons should say like hire a developer right now? Or is this something of subscribe to more articles like this or view, view other you know, interview questions for similar technologies? So, and a lot of this just starts with our hunch about what we think people are, are like on this page. And then it's just testing all the time of different, different types of things. And I think the, the hard versus soft sell thing is something we have to test a lot. But everything is sort of in this, uh, everything on top tell more or less points to 
the bottom line, which is getting somebody or somebody that that person knows to come in and hire developers or getting somebody or somebody that that person knows to come in and work as an engineer and become part of the network. Sure. And from all these tests and so on of hard sell versus soft sell and so on, like, is there any valuable learnings that you can share? I think one of the most valuable things that I've learned is that my assumptions about what is going to work wrong almost half the time. I mean, if you, I, I am very bad at just like I've never, almost everybody here, you know, there's very smart people working on these things at TopTel. And it's very, very difficult for us to be able to accurately predict the outcome of an A-B test. And so what I've learned is you, you don't let your own ideas of what you think is going to work, you know, cloud your judgment before you test things. Let data do the work and make sure your data is clean and that you understand it so that you're not making mistakes. Yeah, doing online marketing consulting, I would say this is probably the single most like frequent point of argument with a client when people just walk, go with their assumptions, you know? And, yeah, I can and imagine. <laughs> and it's just like when you've been in business for like 20 years and you kind of, you, I mean, you know your business, you know your market and so on, but it just limits your, your willingness to test sometimes and you're probably missing out on a lot of stuff if you don't. So uh, what's really good with you guys is like you just want to test and see the data. I guess that's the benefit of working with engineers, right? It definitely helps. I mean, it's it's oftentimes not as simple as just being willing to uh, look at data or say that you're a data-driven company. There's a lot of ins and outs, and if you're doing fancy things for conversions and there's JavaScript pop-ups or Ajax-type pop-ups and, and things like that, there it, it becomes pretty tricky to, to do a lot of this right. And, and not do too much as well. Because, you know, you, when you run several conversion tactics at once, if, the, if there's like a pop-up and three opt-in forms and two banners calling with you and so on, it just becomes crazy, right? Yeah, we're pretty hungry for growth at all times. I mean, it's uh, when your company is taking off or something you're working on is taking off, it's pretty exhilarating. And so we're constantly chasing, chasing that. Um, and so we've kind of developed an approach where it's not just you know look through, looking at the chi-squared test results or something like that for statistical significance on an A-B test. A lot of times we'll look for something and do a, a mix of sort of cowboy testing and academic type A-B testing where if we see something that is hundreds of percent gain like v right out of the get-go, we might go with that and then iterate more quickly just to just yeah. to minimize the number of variance testing at any time. And there's some other machine learning techniques around doing this like multi-arm bandit and things like that. And so, um, I mean, again, it helps having a lot of engineers because you can get pretty sophisticated with this stuff. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, I just want to go back a little bit and I want to understand how important is your blog to your business these days? Like, oh, um, I guess it's hard maybe to track like how much revenue generates and stuff, but like, like in terms of like lead generated some or something like that and, and like assisted conversions, like if you can tell us in percentage or something, we don't need any dollar number or anything, just like it's, you know, 10% of our leads or something. Sure. So a year ago, it was approximately zero percent of all inbound leads and contribution to our business because it didn't really exist. And then now it's definitely on track to dwarf every other channel that we have in terms of inbound leads when we, we have very large budgets on places like LinkedIn and AdWords, etc. And so this is, I'm not sure what percentage it is right now, but it's quickly getting 
I mean, it's definitely going to be the number one thing by the end of the year. Of a surpassing PPC, like is it going to be bigger than your PPC campaigns? Yes. So that's pretty big, actually. And in it, just uh, same, I don't need dollar numbers, but I'd like to know, like, how much do you spend on your blog compared to your PPC? We spend a lot more on PPC. Yeah. Even with a team of you know, very senior people and, and so much time on every post, we spend a lot more on AdWords. Yeah, that makes sense. It's just, uh, that's, that's what I thought. But it's, uh, I guess you basically lost a lot of money at first on your blog. Uh, you, you just probably lost tens of thousands of dollars when you started. Yeah, I, for, uh, during some point, we were certainly running a negative until it caught up in terms of SEO and started paying for itself. Um, I mean, we have the benefit of selling very high-ticket items, and so uh, a big client can come through and just pay for mm. You know, everything plus a hell of a lot more and that's definitely happened cool well that, that makes a lot of sense now let's imagine for a second that you're not working for top Tal anymore and you're starting a new startup company and you want to use all the learnings you've had from starting the top Tal blog and creating a blog for that startup company how would you go about it I think the first step like I mentioned before is really just setting your vision and Set it, setting it so that you don't have to compromise. And so your, if your vision is it's only A-plus content, whether that's technical content or just interesting content or whatever, that's the most important thing. I think you really don't want to be in a position where you're publishing fluff and just trying to make it a numbers game because I don't think that that's, uh, that's going to work very well. And we've done really well over a lot of our competitors because they were publishing fluffy stuff. And so we chose to do a completely different approach. And I think Google's rewarded us for that. And they did several different updates and their ranking stuff like Penguin or Panda or, or whatever it is. Those things come out and then we benefit because Google's trying to, I mean, push the best stuff to the top and we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars creating the best stuff. And that, as, at least so far, has been really paying off for us. And so I would definitely recommend, I mean, I would follow that approach no matter what I'm doing. The next thing I would do is get a good A-B testing framework in place. So something like Optimize your Google Experiments or Ma and MailChimp or something like that. I would probably use MailChimp since it's nice and easy and there's some basic A-B testing stuff in there as well. And that's how I would actually be building this list and then making sure the subscribes and all that stuff are there. I would look at Google Webmaster Tools, Google Analytics. I would come up with an initial launch plan. So... Maybe this is as simple as I'm going to put it on Facebook and spend $100 in a very targeted way, or maybe I have a list, or maybe my company already has a list of customers and things like that, and figure out where your first few viewers are going to be coming from, and then make it very easy for them to bring other viewers there. So you know, very obvious shares or very obvious subscribes, things like that. And then from there, it's the kind of lean startup methodology of build, measure, learn, or publish, measure, learn in this case. And that process never really stops, And especially because you can change articles when they've been out there. An article can be a total flop. And I've done this on Hacker, Hacker News at times in the past. I know a lot of people have done this, where they put something on there and it didn't go anywhere and then they changed the title and then they post, posted it on there again like a week later and it shot straight to the top and it was uh, you know, trending for a day and that got them 50,000 know, very targeted viewers for what they were looking at and so I think that the, 
the situation is never final on these. It's always possible to get another last word in there when it comes to content, and that's really important here. Yeah, that sounds really interesting, actually. So you can you go ahead and you take what didn't work out. Obviously, try to fix the article if it wasn't very good, but you guys on the output really good stuff. And then change the title and go ahead and go on all these social sites again, right? Yeah. Cool. Uh, I don't do that. I should try it, actually. That sounds like uh, an easy way to get some traffic if you're maybe struggling to create content at the pace you want yet, you know? Yeah. Um, that sounds like a good um, a good strategy to revive some traffic. Um, I think that's that's a really good point. Uh, it's I think when you have really high standards for your content, it's definitely more difficult to 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 scale it and turn it out as quickly as you might like. And so, being able to maximize the value coming from every one of those is really important. And that really comes down to a patient and smart testing and learning cycle. Cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess that's about it for the interview, but I just want to ask one last question, which is, did I forget anything in your process that's like super important and we didn't mention at all? I think when it comes to SEO stuff, doing link building and doing a lot of the sort of clickbait titles and stuff is, is really, you really need to be careful with that. So it's great that one title might get a lot more a much higher click-through rate than another. But if it's clickbait type stuff, like a lot of times BuzzFeed and things like that, and then users aren't, they click on it because they were baited, then they're quickly leaving and stuff. I just, I think you're wasting your time and spinning your wheels. It's, you're, you're much better to have a approach of, we want something great first and then optimized right after, rather than just something that's purely optimized for some sort of metric like, like click-through rate. And then, I see a lot of link building because we get, and we have been spammed on top talent and stuff where people are just dropping in some BS comment and then a link to whatever it is. Mm. And I think Google is getting smarter, smart enough that that stuff doesn't work for very long, even if it does work for a little bit of time. And you're not doing yourselves any favors by trying to go down that rat route. And so being as, as white hat and transparent about all of this stuff as possible is, I think, really important. Yeah, I think you need to just focus on delivering value before you focus on getting traffic anyway. Uh, yes. It's just like, if your con is average, just don't waste your time promoting. Get back to producing, I guess. Um, I, I think that's a good point, yeah. And then and then you can play with all these things. But all these, the problem with most people is that they want to play with these shiny tools, right? They want to do A-B testing. They want to do clickbaiting. They want to do all these things. So they, they kind of rush into creating the content and then they, they just want to play with that and uh, they get average results or, or low results or just people just click and they're like, that's a bullshit site. And and that's why they don't really work out most of the time, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't have as much experience in this as you do, but that was my sense when we started going into this and that we've been fortunate that the the route that's very different from that has really worked for us. Yeah, it seems like it. All right, so I guess that's it for the interview. Thank you very much for like sharing all of that. I think I'll be I'll be talking to you afterwards, and we'll put something together that people can download to learn a bit more about TopTal and the blog and all that stuff. Um, but uh, I suggest you, if you're into engineering, if you're developing stuff or so on, I really suggest you get into the TopTal blog. It's toptal.com/blog, so you can see everything we talked about and the level of quality these guys are putting into their blog posts and so on. And yeah, if you need any development, you can also talk to them. So thank you for being here, Brandon. Awesome. Thanks so much, Gil. 
Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.